guys, my name's Brianna and I'm here with Pastor Nicole and we're gonna talk to you about Operation Christmas Child this year. So Brianna, tell the people why Operation Christmas Child is so important to you. So this to me is just a tangible way that we can like reach kids around the world with the gospel. Everybody can. Mm -hmm. But we're gonna do a little different this year. You've had this amazing idea and we found out that there's packing parties going on all around us. And we've been doing this individual and that's amazing, but we think we can make a bigger impact and buy supplies at a cheaper cost by going through Amazon. If you see a QR code laying around, that's gonna be just for Operation Christmas Child. And Brianne has made this list so that we'll know what pencils, balls, stuffed animals, whatever needs to go in this box, we can order it and get it at a cheaper price and it directly ships to the church so that we'll be ready for our packing party. And we have a really big goal this year. Mm -hmm. We're gonna do 500 this year. 500 boxes, that's amazing. And we can all be a part of it. So what we're asking you to do is be sure and purchase something from Amazon, go on the wish list. And number two, show up on the date. So it's gonna be October 29th after church in the lobby. Show up on that date and immediately when we leave and dismiss church, we're gonna have all of the packing stuff out so that everyone can participate. We want you and your children, go ahead, prepare a note that you wanna put in a box, take a picture, share it with your family, whatever you wanna do, we want you to be a vital part of this day for us. So bring your families out, buy something and show up on the packing party. Help make Operation Christmas Child a success this year. church how is everybody this morning alive well and here and ready to praise God amen amen look at someone beside you and say wake up because we're gonna praise Jesus today <laughs> well first off if you see our wonderful prayer team walking around and holding prayer cards that's for you if you have a prayer request please take one of those prayer cards and fill them out the prayer team will come back around and pick it up for you as well, um, I want to assure you that these prayer requests are prayed over by pastors and staff every single week. And on our Saturday monthly prayer, we also pray over those as well. Also, too, small groups start this Wednesday. Woo! Small groups, yes. If you have not signed up for a small group, I encourage you to do it. There are a few that are closed um, because they are already full. So if you haven't signed up for one, please visit the Welcome Center out there, and the team out there will help you with that. Also, too, tonight we have a family movie night here at the church. We're going to do it outside. Um, the movie starts at 8.30, but before that, we're going to play games. We're going to have cornhole tournament. Who likes to play cornhole? I actually like to play cornhole. I thought that I'm good. I like to play it. It's all right. But I like to play it. We're going to have a cornhole tournament starting at 6. There will be free popcorn and hot dogs here. But you have to bring your desserts. All the fire pits will be open and going. But bring your s'mores. Bring your desserts. If you have a fancy s'mores or a fancy dessert, bring that. Pastor Nicole already said that she is trying desserts. So bring an extra one. For Pastor Nicole, she'd love to try your desserts. All right, today, let's stand up on our feet. 
Let's stand on up on our feet. Let's get ready to worship Jesus. So today I want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage you that praise is a weapon. It is a weapon that shouldn't be our second thought. It should not be an afterthought of something comes and we decide, oh, oh, I should probably praise God through that. No, no, I, I want to encourage you. It should be your first thought. Besides prayer, praise should be your first thought. We pray first here at Only Believe, and we also praise. And we praise well, and we praise hard, and we praise loud. And this first song that we're going to sing is called Praise. And it's one of our favorites. It's one of our team's favorites right now. And I encourage you that if you need a miracle today, praise is the way to get your breakthrough. I encourage you that if you need Jesus to move on your behalf, if you're believing God for someone in your family, if you're believing God for a physical healing, for an emotional healing, for someone you're standing in the gap for, today is the day that you can praise him. And that's when breakthrough comes. Amen? Amen. So let's lift up a shout this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. We've come to praise you this morning. Hallelujah. Praise cause you're true, 
Praise cause there's nobody greater than you. Oh, praise cause you're sovereign. Praise cause you reign. Praise cause you rose and defeated the grave. Praise cause you're faithful. Praise cause you're true. Praise cause there's nobody greater than you. How many in here have something to praise about this morning? One, one more time. How many people have something to praise about this morning? All right. So I'll praise means I'll praise. I'll praise means I'm going to praise today. So I want to see somebody in here praise this morning. I want to see somebody in here dance this morning. I want to see somebody in here shout this morning. There's something to praise about this morning. There's people been healed. There's people that are being saved. Jesus is still alive today. There's something to praise about today. Come on. Oh, praise because you're sovereign. Praise because you reign. Praise because you rose and defeated the grave. Oh, praise because you're faithful. Praise because you're true. Praise because there's nobody greater than you. I'll praise because you're sovereign. Praise because you reign. Praise because you rose and defeated the grave. I'll praise because you're faithful. Praise because you're true. Praise because there's nobody greater than you. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. God is alive. How could I keep it? Oh, I won't be quiet. I won't be quiet. My God is alive. How could I keep it inside? Yeah, I won't be quiet. My God, He's alive. How could I keep it inside? Praise the Lord, oh my soul.
then I heard you call, then I heard you call my name. You say, come awake, it's time to rise, throw off chains, run to the line in freedom. You are, you are freedom.
Oh, 
some people today that if it's not good God ain't finished with it yet he's always been faithful in our lives he hasn't stopped today last thing I know when I got up there was a sun that rose and tonight 
At sundown, it'll go to sleep and there'll be a moon. Never has his faithful left his people. Amen. It shall always be good. It's giving time and only believe. And I read Matthew, the 23rd chapter, the 23rd verse. And I read this to you because I hear often tithing, Pastor Nicole, is something in the Old Testament. Tithing's not for today. Tithing's something that was done away with. I've heard that we're supposed to tithe to the five-fold ministry, evangelists, teachers, preachers, prophets, and our pastors. But specifically in the scripture, God tells us that we are to bring our tithes into the storehouse. That's right here. And we have evangelists in our house. We have teachers in our house. We have prophets in our house. But it doesn't mean that you send your tithe to another place around the nation. God speaks specifically. However, I want to read one of the scriptures where people believe they get a free pass on tithe. And it's in the New Testament. And this is why they think, well, it's done away with. Matthew 23, 23 says, in Jesus' words, red letters, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. These were people who knew the word of God. These were people who were judging Jesus according to the law as he was working and walking in his day. It says, For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted, taken out, the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. I remind you that some of us think that this is the scripture where Jesus says, you don't need to tithe, you need to think about these other three things. But this scripture wasn't meant to undo it. Jesus didn't denounce the tithe in this scripture. What he said was, is that if you're using the tithe to be self-righteous and not do these other things, then you ain't accomplished what the big purpose is here. These are weightier than the tithe. But don't stop the tithe. Just keep in mind that in your mind, you do what people think they see. You drop it in the bucket because you want people to know that you're doing what's right. You try to make it make a really big clump in the bucket, like bam. And he's like, yeah, but I just want you to love. I just want you to be faithful. I just want you to do these three things. What God's saying is that Jesus is saying in these scriptures is that don't use because you tithe to omit these other things. Continue in the tithe. But in the big picture, it's a small thing. And I'm reminded of the scripture that says, he who is faithful in the little things will be given much. So if you want to be counted faithful in those three things which are weightier to God, weightier to Jesus when he wrote them in red letters, then we got to start with the small thing. I challenge those of you that maybe have never taken a risk on tithe. And I happen to know this was written before this young lady came up to me before service and asked, Pastor Nicole, do I start tithing on my net or do I tithe on my gross? And I went, you're getting it. You're getting it. Because see, it's a very small thing in God's eyes that you would honor him with your first fruits. Be obedient. Just give me what is mine and I'm going to bless you in so many more ways. 
and these three things that I consider weighty, they're gonna start being added unto you. Because when you do what I've asked first, when you seek me first, all these other things, it's not just clothes, it's not just shoes, it's not cars and houses, it's the things of the scripture. It's these fruit that live in our lives. It's bigger than we think. So I challenge you today, like the young lady I talked to earlier, if you haven't put God first in the small things in tithe, I dare you to take a challenge because when you honor him in return, his word will not fail. Amen. Father, we just come before you today. And God, I thank you, Lord, Father, that you've given us the small things, Father, but you desire these weightier things in our lives. But God, it begins with the tithe. Father, we give it today, Father, knowing that what we give according to your word, when we obey and mix it with faith, God, that it will honor you with your first fruits. And Father, that you will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon us that we cannot contain. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace today. Father, I thank you for the word in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. As you give your tithes and offerings at Only Believe today, don't forget the globe in the middle is for missions, and it's going across seas to make a difference in the lives of many people. our service with Pastor Tim, I would like to have a young girl in our church give a testimony today to encourage you. And before I go there, Bree, I remember, I don't know how many years ago we met. Do you know? Right over here on these steps, how many years? Six years ago, I met this young girl on the steps over here in the corner. And I prayed a prayer with her, and I thought to myself when I got up, Lord, you're going to have to help that young lady. No, I did. I did. Because I knew that the brokenness and the harm that had been done to her was far greater than any man or woman could counsel, could medicate. I knew that she needed what only Jesus could provide. So, Bree, come on up. By the way, I'm so proud of her. Thanks. Don't worry. If you pass out, I got you. Hi. <laughs> woke up like 10 minutes ago. That's all right. So in 2015, I moved from Indiana to here, and I did not know Jesus at all. I was, I thought at my lowest because I lost my job, lost my grandma, lost my house. 
all I did was party. And then I moved here in 2018, no, 2016. I went with a friend to a Revive Ohio thing in Salina and somehow got led to the Lord there. And then I was like, okay, things are going to look up from here. <laughs> they did for a little while, but then I started hanging out with the wrong people again, partying, drinking, doing drugs, all that stuff. And when I did that that time, I think I was more disappointed in myself because I felt like I was disappointing the Lord and myself. So it just kind of put me down further. Um, I hated the way I looked. I hated the way I felt all the time. I felt hopeless, lost, dark, hated everything about everything. I didn't want to like not be alive, but I didn't want to be alive. <laughs> um, so I just kept drinking and I thought like, I can do both. I can, I can live with the Lord and I can drink and I can, I can live both. I can walk that line, but I, I can't. Um, about two years ago, I decided I was not going to come to church anymore. I was not going to live for the Lord at all. I didn't even really know if I believed in him anymore. Um, I tried to come to church every once in a while, mainly to take pictures because that's what I wanted to do. But I had a panic, a, a panic attack every single time I walked into the church. There were times I had to leave early because I couldn't, I couldn't stay here. I was not okay. Um, so I stopped coming altogether. I would show up to a few events that I was a part of and still took pictures, but still had panic attacks. Um, <laughs> and then about February, March of this year, I went to an event and it was a transformation event and I just kind of felt God on my heart again and I decided, let me try this Jesus thing again. So I was, I spent a lot of time in prayer. Somebody did an altar call here and I came up and it's like, okay, let's do this again. And ever since then, I stopped drinking. I've attempted to do drugs in the past six months once, but the Lord away, <laughs> the Lord did a thing with that one. Did not do those drugs. Um, but I did stop drinking, and I've just, everything in my life has changed so much. I've started coming to church without panic attacks, except like right now. <laughs> but I just, everything in my life has turned completely around. It's done a 180. Um, I feel the Lord actually in my life. I've never felt that before being pushed to share my testimony a few months ago. I was freaking out, but here we are. But I just, I just want to encourage you, if you are not living 100% for the Lord, you're never going to feel the Lord. And if you are living for him, everything in your life is just going to change. It's going to look up. You're no longer going to feel hopeless. You're going to finally find your purpose in life. And yeah. No hopelessness. No hopelessness. N no dark days. No. Like so dark you can't breathe. No. Listen, this girl picks her feet, puts them on the ground now and says, today I'm alive because of Jesus. I've seen her when you didn't want to step out of bed. I've heard her. I've seen her post when there is no hope. And I'm telling you that if God can do it for Bree, he can and will do it for you. And girl, I'm so proud of you. you. Panic attack or not, now you know what we feel.
And by the way, uh, I'll just give a plug for Brie Media and Company. That's her pictures. If you've ever seen her, she takes my family pictures. Uh, in the fall time, she does an amazing job. So if you see any of those uh, specials she has running around, you need to grab one. They're good. Anyways, without further ado, I want Pastor Tim to come on up. We are going to get into our message today. And i got to be honest with you. I've been looking forward to this message. Yeah, I am. So you preach your socks off. Let's go. I tell Pastor Randy every time he's preaching out here, I tell him to break a leg in the spirit. So he told me to break two this morning, so there we go. I actually am excited to preach this too, to be real honest with you. Um, I've been diving into what I've been studying for several months now, and it's been, it's been rather impactful for me. Like as I've been learning and studying, I've just, my life is... The Lord's just really showing me some things. And so I'm excited to share it with you because I really believe, hey, I believe in the Word of God, but I really believe that if we'll get what the Word is going to teach us today, we're going to find freedom. And, and we're just going to find real freedom in Jesus and, and be set free. And so what I want to talk to you about is patterns. And we've been in a series talking about, I believe the title was The Invisible War. Yeah, there we go. I got it. The Invisible War, just what's happening in your brains and how we overcome these things. And in talking about patterns, here's the interesting thing. Um, I, I was looking that word up, patterns, and I thought, initially when I was looking it up, I thought it would mean repeated behaviors, like in the scriptures that I found, right? Like that just seems like a normal, it's a pattern, a repeated behavior. What I found actually shocked me. It shocked me and it opened my eyes to a reality that we live in that I wasn't quite aware of. And so I want to share that with you today, and as I do, I hope that you also can experience freedom because that's what Jesus came to give us, freedom and life. And so if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. We're going to go to Romans chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 14. Yeah, we're going to start in verse 14. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Let's read what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, now we know that the law is spiritual. But he says, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. What's he talking about? He's talking about the law that God gave Moses. It's spiritual. It's designed to lead us and guide us spiritually to become what God always intended his people to be. But he says, but me, myself, I'm sold as a slave to sin. We're going to get to that. But I want you to know that before you are in Jesus, the Bible makes it really clear that you are actually a slave to a powerful, a powerful force called sin. You're a slave to that. And Paul says, that was me. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good thing I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. That's like a tongue twister. Like you, you should try standing up here and reading that block of text, all right? It is very tricky. But what is his point? His point is, I know that there's the right way to live, and yet I keep doing the wrong thing. And the thing that I want to do is the right thing. But I just keep doing the wrong thing. Have any of you in your life ever experienced that? 
We're like, I know. Listen, in parenting, I know I relate to parenting a lot, but it's, I'm in the thick of it right now. In parenting, like, there's literally not a day that goes by that's like, I knew the right thing to do, but I did this other thing. You know, like, the times that I've laid in bed at night and looked at my wife and just said, I literally am probably the worst father ever, you know? And then I go to some other father who's been there and done it. He's like, dude, you're fine. You're going to be fine. I'm like, are you sure? You know, you just need to. But this is, this is life. This is like what we experience. I know, that I, I know that I should act in a certain way. I know that God wants me to do this. But yet somehow, some way, I just keep ending up over here. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Paul does too. Verse 21, he says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good... Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. Invisible war that takes place, yeah. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Now, I love it. Paul's just brutally honest here. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? All right, pause right there. Paul's going to transition his argument here. And I want us to grab a hold of this. All right, Paul's saying, look at what life is like. How we know what we should be doing. We can know the right answer in any given moment because we have God's law to instruct us. And yet we fall prey to just doing the wrong thing over and over again. And Paul looks at this human condition and he says, we are like wretched people. Like, we are so messed up. And if you just stop for a second and, like, just remove all of your following Jesus for however long you follow Jesus, just think of this from a human, just simple, basic thing, right? I know what I should do, yet I just struggle to do that thing and I do the wrong thing. And, like, we, if somebody came up to you and was like, I need counseling, you're like, okay, what's going on? They're like, I keep doing this terrible, awful thing. Okay, do you know that it's wrong to do that? Yes. Stop doing it. They're like, I know, that's what I'm telling you. And you're like, something's wrong with you. Yes, that's Paul's point. There is something wrong with us that we can know the right thing and yet keep doing the wrong thing. And so you're like, well, where's the hope? Paul's going to give it to you. He says, but thanks, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to what he says. So then I myself in my mind, in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Go to verse, or chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Here's the good news. We're not even to the meat of the message yet. Here's the good news, is that we can acknowledge this, this terrible human condition of we know what's right and yet we consistently choose wrong. We can acknowledge it, but we don't have to stay stuck in that place. Paul says, yes, it's a wretched place to be in to know. And if you've ever dealt with addiction, if you've ever dealt with addiction, you know exactly what he's talking about. What a wretched spot to be in in life, to know this thing is terrible and it's destroying me and it's evil and it's hurting people, but yet I just feel powerless against it. 
But Paul says, yeah, we were wretched, but thanks be to God who sets us free in Christ Jesus. And Jesus breaks the power of sin off of our lives. We're no longer slaves to it anymore. The good news is, church, you don't have to keep living that way. There is hope for us. But there's an invisible war happening in our brains. And I want to show, so turn to Romans chapter 12. All right, you, got, you can't go to Romans 12 without knowing that you have hope. Because Romans chapter 12, tw- just so you know, I just got to, Romans chapter 12 through 15, like Romans 12 verse 1 through 15, like verse 13, it's like you should read it all together. Because that's the way it's meant to be read. Paul's writing to the church, and he's going to talk to them about what evil is trying to do in God's church. And it's really good. And it's super, like, when you read it and you read it through this lens, I'm telling you, you're like, oh, my goodness. The devil has been messing with me, and I've been letting him do it. You guys remember when Jesus is walking and he's telling the disciples, hey, i got to go die, and Peter was like, forget that. (laughs) Like, no way, Jesus. And Jesus says what to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Peter walked right into the devil's trap and didn't even know it. Was completely oblivious to it. What I want you to know is that we often do that not because we're bound to sin's power anymore. If we're in Jesus, sin's lost its power. It does not control me anymore. But you know what it can do to me is it can manipulate me. It'll mess with my head. And it'll get me to walk right into, right into its purposes for my life without me even being aware. And Paul doesn't want that to happen to you. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test, excuse me, and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, so with all that taken into consideration, we see Paul in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And I read that thinking, Paul means don't keep doing the same thing over and over again, you know, because that's what sinners do. Here's the revelation. That's not what that word pattern means in this verse. In fact, in this verse, that word pattern is unique in all of the New Testament. It's only used twice. Paul uses it once right here, and Peter uses it once. And the word pattern here means this, to be pressed on a form, to be molded. Okay, is not, if I wanted to start a business selling gingerbread cookies, I would want my cookie, and I want the gingerbread man shape. I don't want just the flavor. I want the shape. If I wanted to create a business selling gingerbread man cookies, I would need to do two things. If I wanted consistent product, right, I would need to create a recipe. I got to make sure I'm using the exact same ingredients every single time. And then I would need to create a mold, a cutout. So I'd mix the batter up, and I'd pour it into the mold. And if I use the same mold every time, then what? Then the outcome becomes predictable. You're with me. Here's what Paul wants you to know. When he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, the word he uses means that there's a pressure coming on you. Pastor Randy, I need, I need your help. I need you to stand here. This is literally what Paul wants you to envision this. 
that sin is actually powerful. It has power. Jesus breaks its power. But sin doesn't give up on us so easily. So sin's coming, and what it's doing is it's pushing you all the time. Paul, the word he uses, it actually means to, it's like a passive pressure. It's, it's not, you don't have to go to a bar for this pressure. It's coming at you, and it's pushing you. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to fit you into a very specific mold. You want to know what the mold is? Satan rebelling against God. That's the mold. So sin's coming, and it's patterning you by applying pressure. And it's just going to keep pushing and pushing. And its goal is to get you into that mold. Why? Because if he can fit you into the mold of Satan, of fallen, rebellious nature, guess what? The outcome of your life becomes really predictable. If I can make... don't. If Satan can come and just push, I'm going to use an example, just using it. If he can push pride, just, it's about you. You you want what you want. It doesn't matter what other people want, right? In your marriage, listen to me, in your marriage, you know what? You'd be happier if you were with someone else. Your wife just wants, and we sometimes think that this kind of stuff just is popping up in our brains. And Paul's saying no, that there's an evil, malicious force that's working against us, putting this pressure. Because if he can make you become prideful or self-centered, oh, I can predict the outcome of your choices all day long because you fit the mold. Are you seeing this? Thank you, Pastor Randy. You were excellent. Give it up, Pastor Randy. He's so good. I actually had the thought to get a big piece of cardboard and cut it out and push it, but I didn't do it. That's what Paul wants us to know. So in Christ Jesus, we've been set free from sin's power, but sin doesn't give up so easily. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the first example of humans giving into this peer pressure. And I, I referenced it on Wednesday. I think I'm going to reference again. Adam and Eve, they're living the good life. Like they are in perfect relationship with the Father. They're living in God's eternal kingdom. No sickness, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, no death, all the good stuff. Right? They have everything that we all hope to achieve when we die and go into eternity. They already have it. And what happens? The, the Satan shows up and he does what? He whispers in their ear. He just whispers in their ear. He doesn't have any power or control over their life yet. The only thing he's got is to try to trick you into doing something that gives him power. And we all know that Adam and Eve, they did what? After he deceives them, she looks at the apple and she goes, oh yeah, that looks good. And she takes it and she eats it and she gives some to Adam who was right there with her. And they both eat it. Humanity now falls under the domain and the reign and the rule of the fallen one, Satan. We're slaves to sin, as Paul would say it. But look at Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the story of Cain and Abel. And it's not just, it's like Genesis wants to show us we are doomed without Jesus. Because every human like that shows up just makes terrible decisions. And the thing I want to just evaluate is why does Cain make the decision he makes? It's super weird. So Genesis chapter 4 Starting in verse 1, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. 
Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. All right, just make sure we're all clear. Cain, gardener, Abel, shepherd. They both bring an offering to the Lord, and the Lord looks at Abel's offering with favor and does not look at Cain's offering with favor, okay? Just so we're all clear, did Abel do anything wrong to Cain? No, No, right? Okay, just keep that in mind. Verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But look at what he says. But if you do not do what is right, look at this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is, Cain, listen to me. Sin's crouching at your door, son. It wants to have you, but you must rule over it. This story does not have a happy ending. Because for some reason, Cain goes, the best solution to the problem I now face is to kill my brother Abel. Hold up. Did Abel do anything wrong to Cain? Where do you think the idea to kill his brother came from? Yeah, that sin crouching at his door. I wonder how many times in my life and in your life sin's been crouching at our door and it's been putting these stupid ideas into our brains like, hey, you know what would solve all your problems right now? Just go murder your brother. And we were just like, sounds like a great idea. Do you see how foolish this story is? Like, what is happening? Sin's really good at what it does. It's really good at what it does. It could take two people who were living in perfect relationship with the Heavenly Father and get them to betray him. It can take a brother who has got no reason to be wrong at his other brother and convince him to murder him. Right? This sin crouching at our door is no joke. And what Paul tells us in Romans 12 verse 2 is that that same sin that was crouching at Cain's door is crouching at yours. The good news is, is if you're in Jesus, it doesn't have power to make you do it anymore, but it's not going to stop from showing up at your door and trying to get you to go that way, right? So Paul gives us a solution. He says, don't conform to the pattern, to, to the pressure. Don't give in to the pressure. How? By transforming, being transformed through the renewing of your mind, the renewing of your mind. Now, how do we do this? How do we walk out this renewal process? If you'll go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. I just I want you to just bear with me. How do, we become, how do we renew our minds so that we can identify? Because this is what we have to be able to do. We have to identify what's the pressure. 
What is, what is the, the mold of fallen, rebellious humanity, this pressure that's crouching at my door that desires to have me? What, what is it going to try to get me to do? I, I need to identify it, right? So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, this is Paul again. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. All right, so he's going to start identifying. Here's where these patterns come in. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. He says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says, you used to walk in these ways. Look at this. You used to. You, look at your neighbor and say, you used to do this. It's not who you are anymore. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But guess what? That power doesn't have power over you anymore. That mold has been broken and you've been remolded into the image of Christ. And Paul's trying to get you to buy into the new mold. Like give in to the right pressure. Because just like sin's crouching at your door, the Holy Spirit actually dwells within you. And there's more power there because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Sin can crouch at the door all it wants to. But if I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm able to overcome and rule over the sin that's crouching there. Are you with me? So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And look at what he says. And have put on the new self, we're something new in Jesus, which is being renewed. Hey, there's our word from Romans 12 too. In the knowledge, in the image of its creator. How do we fit the new mold? By looking at Jesus. I know that's not like a deep revelation, but here's what Paul is telling us. If there's sin crouching at your door, putting pressure on you to become a certain thing, whatever that thing is, if it's pride, it's putting, why? Because the outcomes become predictable if you're a prideful person. If you're a greedy person, the outcome becomes predictable. We know what's going to happen if that's what's in your heart. But he says, no, 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 identify what sin's trying to accomplish in your life. What is it trying to produce in your life? And then renew your mind in the image of your creator. Go take a good, hard look at Jesus. Why? Because that's whose image you've been created in. That's who you're supposed to be. And so the more I get with Jesus... And the more I spend time in prayer and I spend time in my word and I spend time in the body of Christ, like right now what we're doing, and we hear the word of God being proclaimed, it does a couple of things for us. It reminds us of who we once were that we're not supposed to be anymore because guess what? That was actually pretty miserable. And it, re it reveals to us, hey, here's who Jesus is. This is where we're all going. This is who we're to be conformed to now. And so here's what I want you to know, church, is that at all times, we have this question before us of who will we yield to? 
Who will we yield to? Sin's going to come, and it's not going to stop. Not until we're taken to glory. Hallelujah. It's going to keep trying to get you in any way that it can to give in to its influence so that it can get a foothold in your life in some way. The good news is, again, if you're in Jesus, you have the authority to get out of it. You don't have to stay stuck. The more good news is, the more you walk with Jesus, the more freedom you will discover. Now, here's the beauty of Romans 12 through 15. Paul goes on like this whole exposition to just be like, hey, let me show you all the ways that I see Satan and this power of sin try to mess with you. And I want to show you something. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I just want to show you something. At the end of Romans 12 too, if you'll go back there. At the end of Romans 12 too, well, I'll just read all of verse 2 again. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My mind gets renewed by looking at Jesus, following Jesus. Jesus molds me into his image as I just yield myself to him. He says this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what I love. If you read all of 12 through 15, you're going to discover that Paul's really talking about one thing. He's talking about unity in the church. That's what he's talking about. All, this whole bit is about how we as a church become unified one together. Why is that important? Well, I don't know. Let me think about what Jesus said about a kingdom divided against itself. What happens to that kingdom? It falls. Jesus said if a house is divided against itself, what's going to happen to the house? It's going to fall. So then I got to thinking to myself. Why wouldn't that be Satan's number one objective in every one of our lives? You see where I'm going. If, if the sin crouching at my door can put enough pressure on me to start thinking things about my wife that aren't, that aren't right. Like, I'll just give you an example. Let's say we get in an argument over Halloween. Just purely, you know... Theoretical. This never happened. I love Halloween. I think it's the most Christian holiday ever because where, when in America is, are people more generous than at Halloween? I mean, tell me one time where, I mean, you don't invite me to your house at Thanksgiving, but at Halloween, I can show up and get free candy. You know what I'm saying? I'm just throwing it out there. I, I'm saying that as a joke. I know people have very strong convictions. My wife has very strong convictions about it. So we get into an argument about it, because I want to take my kids and go experience the generosity of God's people in the world, you know? And so we get into, a, we get into an argument, and, and ultimately, you know, we land where we land. But, you know, just imagine Satan coming in and being like, doesn't she just make your life miserable? Like, think of all the fun you're missing out with your kids, and all that sugary goodness. Because of her. You see? And, and I could go... I'm just thinking stupid right now. But Paul wants me to realize this. No, 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 no. Yeah. Satan, dude, sin's crouching at your door, my man. Yeah. And it's looking for any opportunity to kick that door open and take power. This is, I think it's the Apostle Paul that says, and I think Pastor Nicole referenced it last Sunday, that we have to take every thought captive. Yeah, yeah why? Because Paul wants you to know that there is this evil, malicious force in the world 
And you know what his goal is? It's John 10.10. Jesus says it. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. These patterns of sinful pressure that, that sin and Satan are bringing into our life, they have one goal. They want to kill, steal, and destroy what God wants for you. And so I can either just be a passive victim to these thoughts. And you know what? It's silly because the whole Halloween thing, we can all acknowledge that's a pretty silly one. But if I allow that thought to stick in my brain, man, it's just, you know what? She just ruins all the fun. And then the next time something comes up that's a little more meaningful to me and we disagree about it, guess what? That thought starts to get louder. Right? Do you see how the pressure's coming? And what does he want to accomplish? Death, destruction, pain. That's what he wants. And Jesus said, though, I've come to give life and to give it abundantly. I, I shared this Wednesday night because I think it's so cool. There's one translation that phrases this this way. To give you a life that's better and greater than anything you could ever hope for or imagine. That's what Jesus wants for you. I want to propose to you that I think the enemy's number one tool in our lives is to bring division. And he will use literally everything. If you go through Romans 12 through 15, you're going to see stuff like this. Hey, uh, you're all members of one body. And I think Paul starts there for a reason because if he can get us divided there, None of the other stuff even matters. And he says, every member belongs to the other. Can I just, I want to help some people. I want to help you. I want you to see what the Lord's been showing me. Have you ever in your life experienced this thought? I'm not going to go to church today. No one will even notice if I'm not there. You want to know where that thought comes from? The sin crouching at your door. Why? He wants to bring division. And if he can alienate you from the body of which you belong, that's a pretty miserable experience. And it's just going to produce hate and bitterness and all sorts of stuff in your life. And that's what he wants to do. Can I just take it a step further? I want you to hear this in love. Can I take it one step further? Remember I said he wants to press you into a specific mold because if he can make your character a certain way, the choices you will make become predictable. Right? If he can make you self-centered... Because that's what that thought comes from. Because when we read the scriptures, what the scriptures say is, hey, consider yourself nothing and seek the benefit of the other. What is that? That's the mold of Christ. Right? So we have these competing things going on in our minds. We've got this sin crouching at our door that wants to put pressure that says, don't go to church. Nobody even cares about you. You won't like the songs that they do. You won't. What is that? Self-centered. Selfish. And if he can make you fit that mold, guess what? I can determine every choice you're going to make when it comes to the body. It's going to become a predictable pattern of repeated behavior in your life. You see that. But if you instead put on the mind of Christ, then you'll go, my objective in coming to church and gathering with the body of Christ is not for me, but for me to be a blessing to others. Hear me, church. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if I have a self-centered mindset about what it means to be a part of a church, that's going to do what to me? Steal, kill, and destroy what God wants for me. If I have a mindset of Christ when I come to church where I seek to be a blessing to others and not to get what I want for myself, guess what? Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it to the full. A better life than you could ever hope for or imagine. Church, what I'm trying to tell you is this. Maybe just maybe what's, what needs to be unlocked in your life is that you come here ready to serve others instead of expecting everything to benefit you. 
And I say this in love because I want you to find the life that Jesus wants for you. And I believe when Jesus says that it's an abundant life. I believe it. And I know that Satan is so sly that he could trick Peter while walking and living with Jesus into going his way instead of following the will of God for Jesus' life. Then I know he can sneak into our lives and try to do this to us as well. He goes on into saying, hey, he moves right on from you all belong to the body. You're all members of one another, so you can't exclude anyone and no one can exclude you, right? He goes right into, hey, whatever your gift is, use it to build up the church. And you know what? I'm saying this in love. You know what I hear sometimes? is people like, I don't have anything to give. Come on now. Read your Bible. That's not true. In fact, you might have something that I need. And if you're not bringing it, I'm going to miss out on what God's got for me. Do you see that? It's, here's the point. It's not just about you. What Paul writes in Romans is not ever meant to just be like, Randy, this is for you, buddy. It's about Randy and everyone else in his church because it impacts everyone else in his church. Because we're one body. If I cut off his thumb, he's going to be in pain. You know what I'm saying? If we lose our thumb, we're missing something. When you come to church not ready to serve and use whatever gift the Lord has given you in his grace, the church is hurting. We're missing something. So what does Satan want to do? If that's what God's will is, if that's what's going to lead you to abundant life, is you coming ready to just pour your life out for the benefit of others every time we gather, then the Satan and this power of sin wants to get you to do the exact opposite. Come and sit in a pew and do absolutely nothing for anyone and walk away upset that nobody came and said hi to you. And if you want to get real touchy, Paul doesn't even stop there. I mean, you keep reading, he goes right into politics. Let's talk about governments. Let's talk about what it means to follow Christ and live in a culture that has governmental authorities. How should we respond to them? How should we treat them? I can tell you right now, in America, the church needs to read what Paul wrote because we don't do it. And what does it do? Bring division. I, will, I promise you on my life, I've never seen more division in the church than when it comes to elections. And I just sit down and I go, look at the devil half his way. And I'll be real honest with you, a lot of times I think we kick the door open and invite him in. Just come on in here, Satan, have a good old seat. We warmed it up for you. I know that's hard. I know that's hard. Because people care. And you have deep convictions, I get it. But what Paul says is anything that will bring division to the church is the work of the devil. Because Jesus isn't building a divided church. In Romans 12, you see, I'm just trying to help you see what Satan's doing. In Romans 12, I want you to understand something. He's writing to the church in Rome. Rome. I don't know how much you know about ancient Rome in Jesus' day. Rome was a bad place. And a lot of bad stuff was happening in Rome. Like, we see what's happening in America, and we're like, it's the end days. It was way past the end days in Rome. And yet Paul writes to this church, this group of believers, who are made up of Gentile and Jewish Christians. And his whole plea to them is, figure out the way to be one. What would have been really easy is for Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, to say, hey, I can solve all your guys' problems. You Gentiles have church over here. You Jewish people have church over here. It'll be wonderful. 
Everyone will be happy that way. Bring it to a modern context. All you Democratic Christians can go have church over here. All you Republican Christians can have church over here, and everyone can be happy. Every, everyone except Jesus. Everyone except Jesus. Satan wants so bad to destroy this church. Not just this, not just this one. He wants to destroy the church, but he wants to destroy our church. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your relationship with your kids. He wants to destroy your kids' relationship with you. And it's not going to be with a big flashing sign that says, hey, come be rebellious with me. It's going to be in the subtle little things. Why, why is my kid, why does he just always get on my nerves? When the Bible says that children are a blessing, they're an inheritance from the Lord. Where's that thought coming from? I just wish they'd leave me alone. I just wish. I know we get moments where we need, I, but do you see where the division comes in? Jesus wants to give you life. Satan wants to destroy it, and he's going to put all this pressure in all these ways. So here's one thing I've learned to do. I've learned in this series, again, I've been walking this journey for a couple of months now. Here's one thing I've learned to do. Is, is the choice that I feel like making right now going to lead to division and destruction or to life? And if, and if it's going to lead to division, where did it come from? Right? It's, it seems simple, but it's what Paul wants us to do. Now, how does he want us to do it? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, Paul points us right to the cross. He says, I want you to look at the cross. Because the reality is this. You've been set free from sin's power. If you're in Jesus, it doesn't have power over you. It can't control you anymore. But it will manipulate you, and it will lead you, and it will guide you. And the reality is that each one of us still miss the mark. We pull a Peter and we do what we think is right in our own eyes, and Jesus has to come back and go, hold up, Satan. And would be to God that he has strong conviction in our lives so that when we're missing the mark, he can say, hold up, Satan, and we respond the right way. But Paul says, in view of God's mercy, he points us right back to the cross of Jesus, and he says, you could not set yourself free, but God in his mercy took your place, and he purchased freedom for you. Oh, by the way, as you walk in this journey of being renewed in the knowledge of the image of your creator, as you become more and more like Jesus, that means if you have to become more like Jesus, that means there's still part of you that aren't like Jesus. And when you're confronted with those things, instead of beating yourself up and feeling like a failure and miserable at life, keep God's mercy in view. Because if he saved you at your absolute worst, why would he give up on you now? That's why, in, that's why in Romans 8 he says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because his mercy is enough. His grace is enough. The blood was enough. That if he saved me at my lowest, he's going to keep doing his good work in me. And he's going to see it through to completion. So he says, in view of God's mercy, he says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. And I know, it's super flowery, like that sounds so lovely, but let's just stop and reflect for a moment. What happens to a sacrifice? It dies. Hold up, Paul. 
I don't like this idea very much. In, in fact, in the Old Testament, like, sacrifices didn't get to pick themselves, you know? Wasn't like a tribute, like, I volunteer as tribute. No, they just went and picked one and sacrificed it, you know what I'm saying? Like, their desire, their will for whatever didn't matter. But that's not what Paul says about us. He doesn't just say to be sacrifices. He says to be a living sacrifice. Meaning that because of God's mercy, because I see what Jesus has done for me, that he knows, he knows what sin's doing in the world, and he's come to set me free from it, so he's merciful with us in our journey of sanctification. He's merciful with us. My role is to offer myself to that mercy. That when I realize I've missed the mark, to not beat myself up and feel terrible, but to just bring myself back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need more of your mercy because I realize I'm not there yet. And I just keep doing it. Paul writes about this a lot. I want to read a couple of these scriptures to you because Jesus actually says it too. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's about yielding to the work of the cross. It's about looking back at it and saying, that's what my sin cost me. That's what it cost God. And if that's what it cost God, then I shouldn't go back to it, right? So Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to walk with me, if you want to be led into abundant life, a life that's better than anything you could ever hope for and imagine, then you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. In Philippians 1, 20 and 21, Paul says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Church, I want to encourage you to continually bring yourselves as an offering to Jesus. Paul's not giving us an empty platitude when he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's consistent throughout all of his letters. He really views his life as an extension of Jesus himself. That that's how he's to view himself. And so again, when we go and study Jesus and we spend time with Jesus and we just learn who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, he's going to surprise you sometimes. I promise you that. If you're not surprised by Jesus in the Gospels, you're not reading it right. I mean, he's rather shocking. Somebody's, you know, yeah, I'll just hear every once in a while somebody be like, Jesus was always so nice. Except when he wasn't. Because sometimes he's not. He calls Herod a fox. He goes out and fashions a whip to, like, beat people with. I mean, he's like, he's nice until he's not. You know what I'm saying? Jesus will shock you a little bit, but the more you, the more you spend time with Jesus, you find out the things that actually made him angry, the things that did upset him. And then that, that actually gets into you so that we're not getting angry for stupid stuff. We're actually getting angry and upset over the right things so that we can be after God's heart and how we seek to rectify those things that break his heart. Paul says we 
view his mercy, and in view of his mercy, we come to Jesus and we say, all that I am is yours. In my marriage, I'm an extension of Jesus to my wife. To my children, I'm an extension of Jesus to my children. In my workplace, this is easy for me, I work at the church. In your workplace, you're an extension of Jesus to your workplace. Oh man, now that means I gotta go look at what, what happened everywhere Jesus went. Well, a couple of things. Miracles broke out, people were set free, people found love and acceptance in God who created them. They found out that God's actually not some big cosmic jerk that wants to destroy their life, but he actually is willing to lay down his own life so that they can find it again. You know what I'm saying? And then I go, oh wait, that's what I'm supposed to be in my workplace. I'm supposed to be the one that when they look at me, they see the love of God. And when they look at me, they see hope that what they're going through in life and this pressure, because it's not like sin's only crouching at the door of Christians, right. right? They need hope too. I mean, if you think about like in your walk with Jesus, if you've ever been at a hopeless place and you've been with Jesus, how hopeless must it be for those who don't have Jesus at all? And so we, this is what Paul says, this is, this is how we find freedom, this is how you find freedom from the pattern of sin is by looking so close at Jesus and living so much in his mercy that you just consistently say, Jesus, all that you are is all that I want to be. Give me courage so that in my life and in my death, no matter what I'm doing, you're the one being glorified. And I know that that sounds heavy. Like that sounds like a lot. Honestly, if we just, we take all the like, just, Years of following Jesus, we're like, oh, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. No, let's think about it. In your marriage, does your spouse see the love of Jesus in you? In your children, do your children see the love of Jesus in you? Even in your disciplining them, because you should discipline. Do they see the love of God there? Do they see the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the compassion of God, the tenderness of God? Is there joy? Man, I'm working on this so much. Because God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in joy. And I want my kids to walk in joy. I want my kids to actually be a little joyful when they see me come into the house. And maybe one day, you know, my wife will be too. I don't know. That's a joke. That was a joke. That's a joke. She loves it when I come home. She's like, here's the kids. <laughs> you know what that's like. You know what that's like. But do you see it? Now just dare to imagine if Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it to the full, what would our life look like if we actually yielded ourselves into the mold of Christ? What would your experience at church be like? I think about this. Like if I showed up with no expectation that anybody's going to do anything to bless me, and I just come in and my heart's goal is, Gerald, I just want to bless Gerald today. Gerald, I just, you're such an encouragement to me in the faith. Gerald, thank you for being here. Your faithfulness and consistency, I see you in that same seat every week. It encourages me because you've been walking with Jesus longer than me. And if you've made it, I know that I can make it. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You're a blessing yep. to me. And then he sits down. And I just go to somebody else. And I'm like, I'm like Chuck, I just love that you, you make fun of me in that one special way every time I'm here. And it really blesses me because my family, that's how we showed love to each other. We kind of messed with each other. And then I got older and was like, maybe it wasn't always messing with each other. Sometimes there was, but it's just, you encourage me, Chuck. Seeing you, you're always got a smile on your face. Chuck, you're a blessing. And I show up and I'm just looking to bless everyone else. 
I'm telling you what, I bet I'd leave the service feeling like a million bucks. Yes. Even if no one did that for me. And I think one of the ways the enemy wants to just lie to us is to say, hey, if you do that, you're going to be miserable. Why? If Jesus said that's the way I should do it, why would I ever believe that it would be better for me any other way? Because Satan is sly. Right? So I just want to, I just want to challenge you to have a little prophetic imagination. To just hear this and just go, what would it be like to really just give in to that? To just, to just open my eyes and start praying, Holy Spirit, make me aware of every way that sin's trying to pattern me, to press me into this certain type of person so that I can take it captive and submit it to the lordship of Jesus in my life so that I can, so that I can become like Jesus as I'm renewed in my knowledge of him and I'm learning what Jesus is like. I want to just be more and more like Jesus. Everywhere I go, I want people to see Jesus in me. I really do think that if that's the way we approached our marriages, our families, our church, our workplaces, I think we'd find pretty good life. I think we'd find abundant life. But will we believe it? Will we believe it? That's the question. So here's the hope for you today. If you're here today and you've had these repeated behaviors in your life that you know aren't good, I want you to know first and foremost that if you're in Christ Jesus, it doesn't actually have power over you anymore that you can break free. You don't have to be a slave to it because you're not. But what you need to do to find freedom is learn to be quick to repent because you can't believe that it's right. Repentance is really just this church. It's changing your mind. This is what it is. At the core of it, it just means to think differently, to act differently, like to just realize this was not the right way this is the wrong way. Why is repentance such an important part of our faith? Here's why. If you don't think it's wrong, you're not going to repent of it. Which means what? You're going to stay stuck. But it's the hundred thousandth time I've got to repent. Good. Keep doing it. Because every act of repentance is an act of defiance against the sin's patterning of your life. But you don't understand. I've been in this addiction for years. I know. But I know the one thing the enemy wants to do is trick you that you can't ever get out of it. And if you'll come and repent of it every time that you need to, you're reminding yourself and you're reminding your spirit that you're not a slave to it because you're in Christ Jesus. And you're reminding yourself that that's not the way, that there is a mold for you, that it's Christ. And Jesus has enough in himself to get you there. So you got to be quick to repent. you got to be quick to repent. And then... And then, this is going to shock you, you need to get in a small group. Why? I heard another preacher say it this way, and I just think it's the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. When you confess to the Lord, you find forgiveness, but when you confess to others, you find freedom. You find healing. That's the, it's, the Bible says that. I'm not making that as what the Bible says. Get in a small group so that you can be in this group together and say, man, I'm really like feeling pressured to do this. And they can go, hold up, that's not the way of Jesus, don't do it. Or I'm in an addiction and I'm trying to find freedom. You need people who are around you that can say, hey, you're not a slave to that anymore. And remind you of that. Because when you're in it, you feel like a slave. 
And they need to be able to remind you and encourage you and pray for you and be the body to you, be the hands and feet of Jesus, to speak God's word over your life. You need to be in a small group where you can connect with people that will help you walk out your freedom. Why? Because freedom's found in the renewing of your mind, and sometimes you need somebody to point you out when you're wrong. That's Peter was super happy to tell Jesus, you ain't going to die. And he didn't realize he was wrong until Jesus told him he was. Sometimes we need other people in our life to say, that thought's not right. That's not what God says. You know what I'm saying? Small groups are a place where you can find freedom and you can find healing. And guess what? They're getting ready to start. Some of you, your next step, like from today's message, needs to be, let me go get in a small group so that I can find some freedom and healing in my life. I need some help. And we all need help. Look at me, church. We all need help. I need help. I need help. In fact, there's some guys in the church that I went to recently and said, hey, I need you older men of the faith. I need you to be there for me. I need you to be praying for me. I need you to come, and when the Holy Spirit speaks something to you about me, I need you to come and talk to me about it. I need people in my life like this. We all need that. Small groups are a great avenue for you to find that community. And I'm grateful we got a big church. Praise God, we're going to pack every seat in this place. But you're not going to have that kind of community with every single person in the church this size. That's why small groups matter. So plug into one. Plug into a small group and find community and be there for one another. So I just, I'm going to leave us today. I'm going to lead us in some prayer here in a moment. But I just want to finish by just repeating what he says one more time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The more we find freedom from the pattern of sin and embrace the life of Jesus as we offer ourselves to him, we will discover that God's will for us is actually good and pleasing and perfect. It fully satisfies. It fully satisfies. Would you guys stand to your feet with me? If, if you're here today, this morning, and you've been struggling with repeated behaviors, like, like you just know there's these things that I know I shouldn't be doing, but I just seem power, I keep falling into them. If that's you, then what I want to encourage you to do today is take a bold step, and I want you to come down forward and grab one of the prayer team members. They're going to be down front. I'll be down here. Pastor Andy and Pastor Nicole will be down here. We want to pray with you that you just find freedom. And it can look like a lot of different things. It could look like pride. It could look like being self-centered. It could look like a real sinful thing, like maybe you're dealing with an addiction to pornography or drugs or something like that. Maybe there's real, it can show up in a lot of different ways, but you know that you've consistently made the wrong choice. I just want you to know that you've been pressured there. It's not just you, that there's a malicious evil force that's wanting that for your life. And you can find freedom today in Jesus. You can find freedom today in Jesus. And so they're going to be down here to pray with you and for you. And what I want to challenge all of us to do as we leave here today is to just take some time to pray and invite the Holy Spirit in to expose any patterns that you've been pressed into already. I know in my own life as I studied this series out and I was, there were things the Holy Spirit was going, and that's where you were. 
that's you right there, buddy. And I have to, okay, I repent. That's of the devil. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to be renewed in my knowledge of Jesus. I'm going to be more like, it's the pattern for all of us. I just would challenge and encourage you to pray that way. Pray that way. Holy Spirit, make me so aware of when that sin crouching at my door is trying to pressure me into something. Just let me be hypersensitive to it so that I don't walk into it blindly, naively, just follow after it. And as we do that, I'm telling you, you're going to find more and more more freedom in your life. You're just going to find Jesus truly is leading you to abundant life, and it's going to be good. So prayer team, you guys can come on down. I'm going to just pray a prayer over all of us. And then if you would like to receive prayer today for maybe a repeated behavior that's in your life that you know is not healthy or good for you, then we want to pray for you before you leave today. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. God, we thank you that there is hope in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus, that Jesus paid the price to set us free from sin's power, that we can walk in freedom in Jesus. And today we pray, Father, that anyone here who's struggling with repeated behaviors in their life that are sinful or hurtful or bringing division and destruction, we pray that today that they would be bold and that they come down and receive prayer, that they can find freedom in Jesus as they identify what Satan's been trying to do to them and find life in the way of Jesus. God, give them strength and courage to do so. And Father, for all of us here, Father, just give us a heightened awareness of what sin's trying to do. God, that we would be aware of it and that we would rule over it, Father. And we would rule over it because we have that power in Jesus. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team just worships for a minute, if you need prayer today, please come on down. We'd love to pray with you for a moment before we dismiss.